Hi everyone, welcome back to Carmen's Corner where we talk about everything dance history. In this week's episode, we're going to be discussing early Greek dance as well as court dance, which both influenced the style of ballet dance. As in my last two episodes, I'm going to be referencing two readings this week, and they're both from a book entitled Ballet and Modern Dance, A Concise History, written by Jack Anderson, and the readings are chapters two and three of the book, with chapter two being entitled Glimpses of the Past, and with chapter three being titled Dances at the Royal Courts. The first thing I would like to discuss is from the first chapter about Greek dance and um, how the author mentioned that there were three categories of dances at this time, um, and they were one, to please the dancers themselves, which is a type of social dance, Uh, second, to please the gods, which would be a spiritual, religious, or ceremonial dance, and finally, to please other people, which would be theatrical dance. And I find this really interesting that they even categorized their dance in this way even so many years ago, um, because we kind of still do this now uh, with how we just have been talking in class with ritual dance versus folk dance versus concert dance. Um, and so we've been doing this pretty much for all of history. and. Um, it's created this separation of dance forms, and uh, I don't think it to be either positive or negative, but uh, it's just interesting to note that um, throughout history, we just have been drawn to categorizing um, dance in this way. Another thing that I found fascinating about Greek dance is that um, it is almost always tied to poetry and music, and It's interesting to think about how we use language and music with our dance today, um, particularly in America and the dance that we experience currently. Um, You know, I think that we don't have a second thought about putting music to dance, um, but we do, uh, we don't see as often spoken word and dance. I mean, it's definitely common, but uh it requires a sort of precision and um acknowledgement to other artists that are providing this text or literature or what have you um and i wonder if the greeks i wonder if this was a natural um ideation for them or if it's something that was also carefully planned or if it just was married from the start and was you know quote unquote normal um, and expected. Um, but yeah, I just feel that this is a really, uh, you could say well-rounded way, um, of the Greeks to make this, uh, this presentation this way. Um, and I think that that's why, uh, you know, Greek theater is also super influential to today's theater. I think that um, just the way that they executed and um, 
incorporated all types of art into their theater and dance made them very highly influential on our modern day forms of both theater and dance. Something we didn't really bring up in class, but I kind of um, wondered about and uh, just was kind of unsure of was um, the mention of dance mania. And they define this as um, ordinary people bursting out into frenzied movements. Um, and they mentioned that this happened quite often. Uh, and I just, I wonder if, um, it was possibly, like, comparable to what a flash mob would be now. Obviously, a flash mob is choreographed movement, but I just, yeah, I wonder, like, socially how, how, like, the public would react when this would happen. Um, because it's something that doesn't happen in our society nowadays. Uh, I, I'm i sure it happens in some cultures and societies. Um, it's something that, uh, you know, I'm not familiar with or used to seeing. So I just wonder, um, I wonder if people would like join in or observe or simply just pass by. Um, yeah, so that's something that I was wondering about. Um, and I also said that it was psycho psychological responses to times of war, uh, pestilence or privation. So it, it was a serious, um, like outburst for lack of a better word. Like it, it was meaningful to them. So I wonder if, um, I wonder if they were personal experiences or if people could join in, um, yeah, and I wonder if they talked about their experiences or if it was just kind of, like, something that came over you and then you moved on. So, yeah, that's something I wonder about. Now I'm going to move to the second reading that uh, discussed court dance and the early uh, renditions of ballet. And so I found the introduction to uh court dance and ballet from Italy to France really interesting um yeah I just find it fascinating that it took off in France but it didn't originate in France um it's just interesting how things can turn up that way um I wonder what the original like creators or practitioners of this dance form in Italy like thought of that um I wonder if they knew how big it got in France um, in comparison to Italy, that would be interesting to hear. Um, and particularly something that uh, grabbed my attention was the transition of uh, dance in the courts to the proscenium stage. So that is what I'm going to get into next. So dances in the uh, the courts, they were performed. Um, with no stage and they lasted for long periods of time sometimes even nearing six hours um and they were performed by the nobility for the nobility so um that's something that i also found super interesting was the transition from being performed by the nobility to being performed by professional performers or even the general public um so 
uh, it wasn't until uh, much later that this happened, um, and it was in conjunction with uh, the use of the proscenium stage. Uh, and I think that this transition was really important because it allowed um, ballet, but as well as other dance forms, to uh, be passed along in a more accessible way. Um, but I also think that they still were pretty gatekept to the higher class, um, maybe even exclusively like the elite classes of society. Um, and uh, because the people who were practicing it were either descendants of nobility or they were the nobility. And um, you can't really like drastically shift that um that quality about it um unless you know something radical happens which it it's just less likely to do that so um yeah then when king louis uh became so fond of ballet um pretty much to the point of like it ruling his world, kind of like method acting. <laughs> he kind of practiced ballet in a method way. Like, um, everything in his life had to be a performance and, um, he wanted to be seen and he felt that ballet was just, you know, the greatest thing ever. And, um, it really caused people to gravitate towards it and it, um, gained popularity, which was good. Um, because that allowed more people to um, access it. And, you know, ultimately, um, more music got involved in the process of dance and, um, you know, more production. Um, so all of this was getting more people involved, even though it started with the nobility. Something I also found fascinating was that ballet was not originally performed with um, turned out positions. And also there weren't really uh, specific positions at first. Those were both things that came later, which I found really interesting. Um, turnout and the five positions of the feet um, and the way that they wore heeled shoes and um, all of this. And even how they involved horses and they made a horse ballet like it was probably just so completely and utterly different from what we see now like I wonder if I were to see a real authentic version of what the original form of ballet was in comparison to today I wonder if we would even recognize it if somebody didn't tell us what it was um that would be fascinating to me um you know and the the Paris Opera Ballet was started as um the uh, Academy Royal de Musique. I don't know how to pronounce that, but um, yes. So uh, it became the Paris Opera Ballet as we know it today. Um, so all of these steps were really important to uh, ballet's uh, life and history. I'll round off today's episode um, with uh a bit of a discussion about gender and ballet. Um, we kind of touched on this in class. Um, and it might stray a little bit from the period of history of, um, you know, 
Greek dance and um, court dance, but um, I think it's very important and definitely related to ballet's origins. Um, so something that I have always been curious about is um, we obviously know that there are distinct female and male roles in ballet, and those are obviously loosening a bit nowadays, um, but they're still very distinct and uh, clear. Um, and, you know, I always have wondered where the shift was in history, and maybe we will learn this further on, um, of dance being dominated performance-wise by females rather than males, because obviously, as we've discussed with, I mean, Asian dance and, um, you know, ballet with King Louis, like, men dominated these performance roles, even if there were women's roles. So its origins started with, it was male-dominated performance, but now there are more female dancers than male dancers. But um, I personally believe, um, and I think this is true factually, but there are more male um, choreographers and, you know, people in positions of power in dance still, as opposed to women, artistic directors, um, company managers, uh, you know, these big positions um, that ultimately control what happens with these dance companies. Um, so where I'm going with this is I wonder where the shift was um, for this stigma, at least in America, that um, dance is not to be performed by boys or um, if boys were dancing they were presumably of a certain sexuality or of a certain uh, gender identity or, you know, what have you. These stereotypes that people have about um, boys dancing, particularly ballet, but other forms of dance as well. Um, I wonder where this this shift happened in history, and I wonder if it's just in American society and maybe not in some other European societies. Um, but yeah, I just, I wonder where this happened and why, why the general public doesn't have stereotypes against um, men being artistic directors and choreographers. Because, I mean, the general public probably doesn't give too much thought to that and they maybe don't know that men are leading uh, these uh, organizations. But obviously, our society is predominantly led by men as history has shown and that has not changed so that's kind of more of an inherent thing that people just expect and don't like question um which we should be questioning it and it should be changing but yeah I just wonder why um the position of performer is uh questioned if it's a male and why the position of artistic director or choreographer is not questioned because choreographers are dancers. They have to know how to perform the steps. Um, artistic directors don't necessarily have to be dancers, but most of the time they were dancers or studied dance or something of the sort. They have a knowledge. Um, so yeah, I just wonder where that shift was and 
why why it happened and you know there's this there was a movement this past year of boys dance too and that's incredibly important because um no person should ever be shamed for doing something that they love especially something so freeing and liberating as dance um but yeah i just wonder where the shift happened and um why there was that separation in um acceptance of dancer versus director or choreographer I hope that our time today has deepened your understanding of Greek dances and court dances and how they have influenced ballet as we know it today. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back with a new episode next week.